This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 109. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. All right, today we welcome William Pullen to the podcast. Thanks for coming, William. Thank you, Kristen. Very nice to be here. So, let's get into it. Um, were you a runner first or a therapist first? I was a runner first, but actually, yes, I was. That's true. Only just. And it, so, so, both came into your life kind of roughly at the same time. Well, yeah, that's the origin story of my work, actually, is, is how... Uh, how I had a sort of meltdown, took up running and psychotherapy to, to, to try and get myself out of the pickle I was in, and how I then combined the two and became a running therapist. So, yeah, they are interlinked forever. Oh, wow. So you never really did, um, I don't know, whatever conventional therapy, you know, the kind of therapy where people imagine you're just sitting there and, you know, with the client, you never did that? Uh, no, I, I, I still do that. I do two okay. kinds of therapy. I practice uh, just some inside and some outside. I don't mix the two up. Uh, people go down one path or the other. Oh, okay. So there's never, there's never the case that people sitting there and then suddenly they're like, oh, maybe it would be better to shake it out. No, I, I, don't, I don't. You know, in, in therapy, we're always talking about maintaining the frame um, I, I don't think um, the upside uh, outweighs the possible downside. Um, it, it's too if, if, I'm, if I've got an inside client and we're really, really stuck, and this has only ever happened to me once, I might suggest that we go outside for a walk just to try and loosen it up and, and create a sense of momentum. But it's a sort of last-ditch effort to, to try to breathe life into, you know, sometimes – uh, it, it's just not the right uh, combination of people in therapy. And I think you owe it to your client to sort of um, uh, you know, just say to them, listen, I don't think this is working right now for us. And so what I did with this particular person is uh, I, uh, I took them outside thinking that that might be the case. And in fact, it, it, it breathed life into, the, into our work and, uh, and we carried on working. Interesting. So um, you practice dynamic running therapy, and that's yeah. what we're mainly going to talk about today. Um, we're not going down the conventional therapy route. Okay. So um, tell us about it. What is dynamic running theory? Uh, therapy, uh, sorry, not theory. Therapy. So um, <laughs> uh, you've got the right letters there, DRT. Uh, so um, it is a, a form of, I suppose you could say, regular talk therapy therapy. Uh, I would say by orientation, perhaps mostly uh, focused on a sort of person-centered approach. So, fairly, you know, regular humanistic psychotherapy. Uh, what's unusual about it is that it's done outside. So I meet my clients uh, in the park and we have regular 50-minute sessions. It's open-ended. We don't know how long our work together will last. And... Um, and, and there are so many points um, where I think it offers something different and in many cases extra 
uh, and advantageous to uh, insight-based therapy. Um, but uh, I think an important distinction, perhaps the most obvious distinction after the uh, location and the movement um, is, is who's in charge of the movement. And that's really important because it is client-led. Um, and that means that my clients decide every minute of those 50 minutes whether they want to be walking, sitting, running, sprinting, whatever it is they want to do. I follow them, and in that way, I can see where they're at, and I can watch how their movement changes according to the conversation that they're having. I can see how their movement is changing uh, according to the weeks of work we've been going through. So the body is, acts as a, uh, as, as, a, as a great sort of feedback. Is there anything particularly special about walking and or running or is this really about tapping into the benefits of exercise that's one aspect of it but um but i think there are so many that uh that i would say i would say that the, the advantage of walking or running is that anybody can do it for the most part um and and it's fairly easy to do i mean if you contrast it with swimming, it's hard to talk to somebody while you're swimming, and it's also hard to find a body of water everywhere you go, whereas you can pretty much find somewhere to walk everywhere you go. Uh, so that's a great advantage. Um, as for why movement, well, of course, for me, and this came from my personal experiences, at the time I was very depressed, and one of the things depression does to you is slow you down tremendously, it stops you. Uh, per persuades you to entomb yourself and um, uh, and sit there and, and, and make all the wrong decisions, or some people might say the right decisions. Um, and uh, and there you sit, working out what you need to work out or not working out what you need to work out. But at some point, you need to get going again. And running gave me not just a runner's high. Um, but it gave me a sense of momentum and empowerment and confidence and progression at a time where I felt very powerless and very stuck. And don't get me wrong, I, I was not a runner. I mean, I was anything but, if you know what I'm hinting at. And, um, you know, and I, and I rang up a poker-playing friend of mine, and, I, and he was in no great shape either. Uh, but it turns out he was going through a divorce, and we would meet and he would moan and I would moan, but it didn't feel like moaning. It felt like a great camaraderie. And we started off at 50 meters a day and we built up and we built up. And a year and a half later, I think it was, or a year later, I gave up smoking and ran the Paris Marathon. And if you told me a year before that I'd be doing that, I, I, I told you I would never run a marathon. No, it's impossible for me. Right. So when people are experiencing depression, the the part where, which you briefly talked about, that it slows you down, or to put it differently, you have no energy. So that seems to be a little bit of an unfortunate conundrum. So um, you hinted at basically one, two solutions. One of them, you know, phoning someone up and doing it with them. And the yeah. other thing is building up slowly. Do you have any other thoughts about how to muster the energy when you actually don't have any energy? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. In depression, you have good days and bad days. And, 
you know, as as you as as you're in the worst parts of depression, it's really difficult to get out and to get moving. And and I would say, you know, if you're in the heart of it, then then you really are going to struggle a lot. Uh, if you're having some good days, then get out and do the best you can on those days. Forgive yourself the days you didn't make it, and uh, and just as you were just saying, or I was just saying, build slowly. Uh, I I found it useful or critical, I, I'm not sure, so maybe maybe a combination of the two, to be in therapy at the same time. You know, the therapy, I would bring myself along to the therapy, and although I just experienced it as me sitting there depressed and, and, and sort of moaning, when I say moaning, by that I mean it, it, doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound kind. What I'm saying by moaning is, is just talking about, my misery or my experience of misery in a way that didn't feel very productive to me. But I knew that going to see a therapist was better than not going to see a therapist. And I realized that it could take time. And I knew that it had to be a step in the right direction. It was unlikely to be a step in the wrong direction. And so, you know, if, if any of your listeners are sort of chronically depressed, um, then I would say, you know, movement, making changes, uh, taking the right steps, little baby steps, anything's possible. Right. So do you have any thoughts on the combination with medication, not meditation, but medication pills? Um, because a lot of people have, they take something against, um, either against depression or a lot of people have anxiety. And do you have any thoughts on, you know, when you do this combination of running and therapy, um, do you know, it can be both from your own experience, but also from research. Um, what is the relationship between the medication and the, the running and the therapy? I don't have any research based information to tell you. I mean, I've, I've just done benefits of, I, any, I just, the research that I know of or that I've been part of has never included the um, antidepressant uh, component. So I can't really speak to that. Okay, uh, that, yeah, that's all right. Um, that's, maybe you can nuance the question a little bit um, and maybe something useful can come out of it. What, what were you sort of driving at? You know, I Whether, was just wondering, you know, so for example, I've read studies where they said that the combination of, in that case, it was running and meditation, this time tation, yes. uh, mindfulness. Um, I read that. Um, is actually just as effective as taking antidepressants, but obviously has no side effects whatsoever. Um, compared to the antidepressants, which do. And um, then I assume there are some other studies where it's like, well, in some situations, antidepressants might be helpful. So, for example, when it's very, very bad. Um, so I was just wondering if you had any knowledge from your practice or, or from, from research about this. But if you don't have thoughts about that, that's fine. Um, I do. I okay. do. Just not research-based, but non-research-based. These are my thoughts. Um, I think I, I sit probably in the, in, in, along, along with the majority of therapists in believing that there is a place for medication uh, you know, it starts the ball rolling in the right direction. When you are properly depressed, you're, you're, you know, you're stuck. And what you're trying to do is get things moving again, um, emotionally and, and more importantly, I think, behaviorally. Um, and so 
you know, if you take medication and, and that helps you to get out there and run, if you're taking small doses or medium, but whatever dose it is, assuming that it's not a debilitating uh, uh, d- dose, um, uh, if it's helping you get out there and run more often, then I think the upside of the running and the sense of progression and, and momentum and, and confidence that that gives you, uh, I believe, is it far outweighs whatever um, side effects there may be from the uh, from the medication. So, so that's why I'm for it. Like like most therapists, it, you know, once you get somebody moving a little bit and 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 in a place where they can think and and emote and 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 envisage and 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 dream and start looking forward then you can start talking about taking them off the medication but if they're in an absolutely hopeless place and you can't get them out of the flat then uh, then i think medication all right so so is it fair to summarize it that way that basically when you take medication it is um, a for a particular um, defined time, um, and B meaning that until you can until it, you get it's a facilitator, not something that you just take and then all the problems are solved, but more like something that you take so that you free up enough energy to do the other things that are good for you. Yeah, some of the latter, very little of the former. Um, uh, no, I wouldn't say it's for a defined time. It's for, um, you know, as, as long as somebody wants to use it. Um, was that the form or was that the latter? What was point one? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was more, you know, in opposition to some people who feel like the medication in itself will solve everything and then just decide right. to be on it, you know, for, for, for yes. years and years and years. That was basically... That's the opposite of taking it while, you know, you're in a place where you can't yeah. move or something like that. I mean, you know, we're all, we're in danger of becoming a, a completely medicated uh, culture. And at some point, uh, the last person who remembers what it's like uh, not to be medicated and not to be distracted by uh, 300 hours of digital programming of one sort or another every week that person's going to die and they'll be and then we'll all think that it's entirely and we will have created a new culture based on medicalized emoting and uh it's uh, and and computers and it's going to be as as uh, even more anxiety provoking than it is now so i think i think uh you know I think most people agree that the thing about antidepressants is you're trying to keep people um, from suicide. And if you have people who are seriously, seriously depressed, then let's put them on the depression. Let's put them on the antidepressants. It stops, um, for the most part, stops uh, the, the suicidal ideation, not always. And sometimes the medication needs to be uh, changed. And, but for the most part, uh, there is a way forward, a better way forward uh, using medication for those groups of people. And then, yes, you hope that, you know, you can then leverage that into lifestyle changes. And, you know, it's all down to this thing, right, whether you believe that depression is, a, is an issue built around lifestyle, connection, expectations, etc., or do you believe that it's a chemical thing or a combination of the two? 
you know, if, if you believe it's a chemical thing, and then you're more likely to medicate. If you believe it's a lifestyle thing, then you've then it makes more sense to change the lifestyle, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, yeah, it took, like, earlier almost a little bit of a dark turn, so I think that's a fitting time to talk about Run For Your Life. Yes, so Run For My Life, Run For, <laughs> run for My Life, Run For Your Life, uh, is a uh, is my book, and I'm I'm rather proud of it, actually. It's in 11 countries now, and I like to think that it's a book that, uh, has something to offer everybody, particularly people with mental health conditions. And because it doesn't cost very much and is a lot more accessible, and again, the running can be done anywhere, and you can do it walking as well. There are programs in there specifically for anxiety, for depression, for anger, um, I think about sort of eight different conditions. And then there's programs for running with kids. There's something called Empathy Runs, um, what else is there? Oh, there's a lot of mindful running in there, mindful walking. It's it's got a lot for everybody. But I would, but the bit I think that singles it out are, are, and I think this is the only place you'll find it in the world, are specialized programs for running with different mental health conditions. Oh wow! Okay. Um, would you care to go into details for one of them? Hmm. By all means. So, yeah, I know it sounds like how could you possibly do that with a book? And the answer is this. So let's take the depression program. So it's one chapter long. And by reading the other chapters, you've learned a lot about what DRT is and how it works in general. So this particular chapter is going to tell you how it works for depression. And it works thus. The beginning of the chapter does a little bit of intro on what depression is, different ways of understanding it, where it comes from, some of the stuff you and I have just been touching on. And then um, I ask, as I do in every chapter, I ask the, uh, the reader to uh, start on a program of runs. And each run has a theme. And the theme is a the question of the day. And there are 20. And... The questions are in depression, they're questions, a lot of them are about familiarizing yourself with your own interior landscape, your relationship with yourself, with your feelings, the things you believe about yourself in the world, a lot of stuff around expectations that you feel are placed on you or what you think the world owes you and why you're not, why it's letting you down or you're not coming up to measure. A lot of it's about learning to track your inner dialogue and and each day's run, which can be done multiple times, by the way, ends with a, there's a piece and an area in the book for writing down your notes. So, uh, you yeah, you write down what you've learned that day about your inner dialogue or whatever it may be. And it takes you on a sort of journey as you learn, I hope, to change the way that you meet um, uh, the man or woman inside, the one that's giving you trouble, uh, and learn to um, acknowledge some of what they're saying instead of trying to fix it or avoid it, to give it space, to give it a little bit of time, to practice acceptance and gentleman, uh, gentleness. And, uh, and I think in tandem, changing the inner dialogue in tandem with um, seeing who you are, learning about your, your process, uh, 
in tandem with a sense of actually, is tandem always two? Because <laughs> I'm in trouble if it is. I, this tandem has three. Um, the third one being, uh, remember, we're running on each with with each of these, and I think that gives you a a, a physical way to intervene with what can otherwise feel like. Uh, a world that's very hard to get a hold of. So I'm giving you a can-do method where you can go out and say, yes, today I ran from X to Y while working on this problem. And I don't know how far I made it on the problem, but uh, I feel like I made it somewhere. But I'll tell you what I do know for sure is I made it 450 meters from X to Y, and I feel good about that. I feel good about doing the two. And, and you see, after a while, you come to believe that one is the same as the other. Progress in one means progress in the other. And it, it loosens things up. You get some momentum going. And, and uh, as we say in England, Bob's your uncle. Sorry, what? Bob's your uncle? <laughs> what does that uncle. mean? I'm, I love these things. These, I, miss, <laughs> I miss England. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> we have a lot of American and Australian listeners. So, so let's enlighten them what that exactly means. I wonder if, if they've got it in Australia. I reckon they might do. They, they don't have it in America, I don't think. Um, Bob's your uncle. <laughs> it, it literally doesn't mean anything. Okay, um, all right. When you, when you, don't, when you can't be bothered to fill in the missing words you just say bob's your uncle because you know the other person really has got the gist of what you're saying all right okay. and, and rather than finding the right 20 words to finish off the sentence you just go bob's your uncle <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is it bod or bob is your uncle bob like robert oh <laughs> i heard it okay that's even better than what i understood initially yeah. cool um so you had a chance to talk about this um at tedx where was that uh, that was TEDx Manchester uh, Royal College of Music North RCMN TEDx Manchester RCMN I think it's called. Yes, I did a talk there uh, earlier this year, which was very very exciting, um, slightly nerve wracking, as I'm sure it is for everybody. Uh, I talked about my journey to becoming a running therapist, much of the stuff I've mentioned here today. And um, I then shared a little bit about how DRT works. But the piece that um, I was most proud about, the bit I wanted to, to share with people, was a take-home method I call empathy runs, which, I'm, which I've used with people I'm trying to get into schools uh, um, at the moment with kids. Uh, empathy runs is a great way, if you're having a problem with anybody, conflict resolution, that's what, if, you need, if you're in need of conflict resolution with your partner, with your boss, um, if you just want to get closer to somebody, if if there's a friend in your circle who you haven't seen in a while and you've heard is adrift and in trouble, try and take them on one of these empathy runs or empathy walks. Uh, and I'll tell you how it works because it creates a, a, a profound sense of closeness and bonding, even though it's absolutely simple and probably most of your listeners have been doing versions of it already one way or another. So an empathy walk is, or run is simply this. It's two people paired up going for a run or a walk, typically for 10 minutes each. So one does the talking, one does the listening, then they swap over, one does the talking, one does the listening. So it's a total of 20 minutes. In between uh, or at the end of each session, the listener reflects back uh, a very small summary, one sentence long, of what they've been listening to. And that means that they uh, will need to actually listen, which gives confidence to the talker, the sharer. Um, 
And, uh, and of course, it also means that the sharer feels uh, um, listened to um, uh, after the process and during. Uh, and so the most important part about this is, is that you pick the subject you want. You can change whatever subject you like. The listener does not interrupt, does not save, does not solve. You're, they are not there to be a comfort. They're not there to be a therapist. They are there to share on a journey, and that's it. The share, as I said, just talks about whatever they want to talk, talk about. But what's magic about it is the sense of momentum and, and traveling together tends to, like it does on a car trip, particularly when people are sitting side by side instead of facing each other, it tends to loosen the tongue a little bit and get the feelings going. Uh, so that's probably 50% of the magic. I'd say the other 50% of the magic is uh, because you're not interrupted for 10 minutes. And since when does that happen these days, you know? And we're, we're, I think we're getting increasingly bad at communicating, which means that, you know, when I, when I try to discuss my problems with, with whoever it is, um, I'm not doing a very good job in the sort of 10 or 20 seconds I'm assigned before I'm interrupted you know, in a dispute. And so nobody gets anywhere. 10 minutes means that even if I'm confused for the first one minute, two minutes, three minutes about what I'm really trying to say, hopefully by minute four or five or six, I finally worked it out. And, you know, you have these eureka moments where people are like, that is what I've been trying to say for five years. <laughs> you know, this, there's a sudden realization that uh, that, that a development has taken place, an understanding has taken place, um, and an expression of that understanding has taken place. Those are all massive, massive things because, you know, get, get it, getting it said, getting it understood is huge. That is an empathy run, and it can be done by anybody. Anybody who watches my um, uh, TEDx, which is called Movement is Medicine, William Pullen, um, there's a guide to how to do it there. You can also find some stuff online about it. I just had the weird thought, but I think, I think, I mean, I just thought like, wow, I don't, I don't have that many conflicts. I'm like, I almost, <laughs> it's weird. Like who would I go on this empathy run with? But I think here in, you know, I'm in Zurich, Switzerland. And I think here it's very much more the culture to sometimes go walking with each other. Um, yeah. I think the Swiss are famous for hiking. So I'm wondering if we've kind of Yes. implemented some of that into our culture because I do that a lot with friends that we just walk and yeah. what you just said that you're interrupted every five seconds I mean yes that can happen but but usually we we don't and maybe that that is because we do a lot of this walking and sharing with each other and walking in the same direction so who knows? well I, I don't think anybody outside of Switzerland quite understands why there isn't more conflict inside Switzerland but somehow you guys have managed to remain neutral for a long time but as i was saying it's not um it's not purely for conflict resolution it can be to to create a closeness with somebody who who's adrift in their life or it can just be you know uh two friends catching up or, or just a regular walk that you do where you just give space to somebody to to essentially verbally meditate on something oh, I love uh, that. it could be the same two people just talking about whatever every Friday morning, you know, but it's a powerful, it's a powerful thing. Yes. And I want to 
want to really emphasize that there probably a lot of people are nodding along right now. Please get out of your cars and actually do it. Actually mm. try. Actually give it a go. Don't just agree with William. Actually, please try it. I like that. And let me know. Write to me and let me know how it went. <laughs> yeah, do that. Um, so is there anything related to this that you feel is really important that we haven't touched upon yet? Um, you know, in terms of what we've been discussing, I'd say that, for, well, for obvious reasons, I'm obsessed by, by movement. I, 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 I think life is for living. Um, uh, that might sound a bit facile, but if you want to feel alive, then live, you know, and, and living means doing things. And for, for most people, not everybody, it means, it means living a life of variety and, and expression. And, and these are all the things that tend to, to get shut down when we get depressed. So I just want to emphasize that point again for anybody suffering from low mood is, you know, you may not have seen any light coming in through the window, so to speak, for, for quite some time. But if you can get yourself out and go and do something different, uh, there's a ch just try to get out, try to do something different, properly different. And if you can get a couple of shards of light going on, you know, that's the beginning. Yes, and let me add to that um, a little thing that I feel like that now is the right time to talk about this. Um, a lot of people also are not necessarily depressed, but they have, you know, they, they just suffer from the fact that the weather is really bad um, in, in, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, and November is for a lot of people a very hard month. And um, I, used to, I used to experience that as well to a certain degree until I started walking to work. And to my complete amazement, and I'm not walking, I'm not talking about, you know, an hour, 45 minutes. I'm talking... 15 minutes, um, it doesn't have to be to work, obviously, but if apparently just being exposed to natural light, even if it's not sunlight, can be really helpful. So I know it's cold, I know it, it might not feel like doing that, but you might give that a try if you're, if you're suffering from seasonal affective disorder. And, and maybe it, you know, it might not go away completely, but it might, um, it, you might experience it less intensely than you usually do. Great advice. Great advice. All right, William, where can people find you? Uh, well, they can find the TEDx on YouTube, of course. Uh, as I said, movement is medicine, William Pullen, P-U-L-L-E-N. They can find me personally at williampullenpsychotherapist.com. They can find me at dynamicrunningtherapy.com. And on Twitter, they can find me at Pullen Therapy and on Instagram, D underscore running therapy. Cool. Thanks very much, William. It's been such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I hope that uh, it, you're seasonally okay over there in, uh, in, in freezing Zurich. I, I gather you've already got snow over there. Um, some places, yes, in Zurich, not quite yet. Um, yeah. Yesterday was cold enough for snow, but then it didn't. There was no, uh, there was no moisture. And now it's already slightly warmer. So today there's, it's not happening, but yeah. It's it feels like, it, yeah, it feels like that, yeah. Enjoy those walks. Thank you very much. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed this interview and we'll go for a run soon. Now, let me show you uh, an Alexa skill that I did um, about a week ago 
called Gratitude Scan. If you have an Alexa device, go check it out. Um, there's Gratitude Scan. I also did one called Positive Psychology Quiz. Uh, there is a Meditation Mythbuster. But now, this I'm going to demo to you what the Gratitude Scan sounds like when you start it up. This is just one demo. So there are 30 different loving kindness meditation variations on it. Enjoy. Alexa, start gratitude scan. Welcome to gratitude scan. Today, we'll think about the person you know who makes the best random observations. May I have the mental space to notice randomness? May I be open enough to notice? May I be tickled by oddness. May this person be delighted by randomness. May this person be peaceful enough to be open. May this person be stimulated by what they see. May all people be delighted by randomness. May all people be open. May all people notice the world around them. If you want to learn more about why this practice is helpful, say why. Why? Welcome to Gratitude Scan. The science of positive psychology has uncovered that gratitude is really good for us in many different ways. Many people have heard of a gratitude journal, or perhaps you've even heard of the gratitude letter, where you write to someone who has done something for you in the past that you never really thanked them for properly. And then you give them that letter. A lot of people do sometimes get caught in a little rut, in a little gratitude rut, which makes them stop any practices related to gratitude. It's easy to see why. Our brain automatically goes to the things we are maybe most grateful for, our family, our health, the fact that we have a job, a roof. But beyond that, it might be sometimes hard to think of things to be grateful for. That's why I built Gratitude Scan for you. Gratitude Scan combines the power of gratitude with the power of loving kindness meditation. Loving kindness meditation originated in Buddhism, but it's not a Buddhist practice the way we use it. We have adapted it so anybody from any faith can practice it. When you practice it, if you feel like it, put your hand on your heart to make sure that you emphasize what you're focusing on right now. Loving kindness meditation, the practice we will use for this gratitude scan, is made out of three parts. Traditionally, we always start with ourselves. The idea is basically that we try to feel those things that we are wishing upon others for ourselves first. Because if we can feel those things, we might just make the practice that much stronger. So you will see that every loving kindness meditation starts with three times a line like, may I be grateful or may I be loved or any of those things. Then, in this gratitude scan, we will move to the person who you are envisioning, okay? So maybe we'll think about someone who's the best at making you laugh. 
So in the second part, you will think, may this person be this and that, whatever it is that I tell you. It's possible that you don't always think about someone or you don't always know someone with that precise thing. So for example, maybe I say, um, think about the person who gives the best books, but maybe you're not a big book reader. Don't let that hold you back. Just adapt it to whatever it is that people maybe do give you. And focus on the person you think of first. It doesn't have to be exactly what my prompt suggests. There is no gratitude scan police. So please just go with whoever you think about. The last part is focusing on the whole of humanity. If you practice these gratitude scans regularly, you will probably find yourself improving the capacity to feel all kinds of positive emotions. Have fun and let's start now. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.